Tuesday, November 23rd. I'm Guy Atami. I'm joined as always by Dan Nathan. This is Market Call Macro. We've rebranded the show, but still bringing you the top macro headlines of the week and our best investing and trading insights. We're going to be joined by the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. Today's market call is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Plural IG, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America, Dan Nathan, and of course, our friends at Open Exchange, because as you know, and as our audience has come to learn, they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. You can tell I am geeked up here. Dan Nathan, how are you? I'm doing great, guy. I mean, you're geeked up because what's going on in the stock market right now and the bond market, I think, is really important. After a year that we have had in 2021, where it seems like the market has, wait for a guy, climbed a wall of oh. worry. We have not had a peak to trough decline in the S&P 500 of greater than, what, 6% all year long here. And all of a sudden, this week, a holiday shortened week, we are starting to see palpitations in the stock market under the hood that I think could be really impactful, especially when you consider the fact that we are, what, one day off of all-time highs in both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ? Pretty remarkable, actually, if you think about it, because as you mentioned, under the hood, some of these names are just getting taken out to the woodshed, as we used to say back in high school. But the broader market doesn't seem to care. At a certain point, I think that we'll catch up with them, but we're not there Yet, although there are signs of that happening, we're going to talk about that. We like to call him, well, I like to call him CQ. I think you probably call him Carl. Some people just call him Q, Dan Nathan. But he put out an interesting thing on the Twitter machine. Maybe you can read about Marco, wait for it, Kalanovic, who comes on Fast Money all the time. Uh, I interpret him. I get him. I understand him. Sometimes he speaks in words that a lot of people don't understand. But this is pretty self-explanatory, Dan Nathan, please, if you will. Yeah. I mean, listen, here's a bull on the stock market. He's coming up with under the radar reasons why stocks could continue to go up here. And I get it. It makes sense. We are in a raging bull market here. So he's just saying, hey, listen, you know, we're going to talk about the Biden administration tapping the, the strategic oil reserves. Well, this would be one, two in a while. Look at you shaking your head. This would be another one, right? If you're looking for little levers to pull to keep the economic engine going, right? This would be one that would certainly benefit the stock stock market. We know that these tariffs that have been in place for years now have been a drag on U.S. corporate earnings here. Um, so, you know, makes perfect sense, except the stock market today doesn't care, Guy. Tariffs have cost, trade tariffs have cost consumers and corporates a total of about $128 billion. That's a staggering number if you think about it. But to your point, the market doesn't care, which takes us to the SPX, as they say. Lower left, upper right, here we are. You've drawn the lines. We see where the 50-day moving average is. It comes in around 4520 or thereabouts. Where as we're sitting here today, we're talking about an S&P that's been either side of 4700. Again, that 200-day moving average, which is now 4280, just looks like this upward trend line. It's pretty remarkable. You know, slow and steady wins the race. Again, the question is, Dan Nathan, have we set ourselves up for not only a test of that 50-day? but a test of that 200 days. Certainly doesn't appear that way now, but as we mentioned earlier, beneath the surface, under the hood, there are concerning signs. 
Yeah. So the 50 day had served as really good technical support this entire way up for the better part of 2021 until we had a couple breaches back in September and early October here. Um, would that make sense? It would also lines up with that breakout level guy um, from October. Um, so to me, might that be the sort of thing where some investors are maybe looking for some froth to come out of the market? And I'll just say this. When I look at my screens right here on Tuesday, I'm seeing stocks that are disappointing earnings like Zoom, down 18% on the day, guy. This was already down 50%, 60% from its all-time highs from about a year ago. Stocks like Best Buy that literally had gone up in a straight line, 30% down, I don't know, 15% today. There's a lot of little dislocations going on or big dislocations going on right here. And I guess my point that I would say about the S&P 500, those six largest names, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook and Tesla. You got it. You got what five on one hand there. That's pretty good. Um, they're about 25% of the S&P 500 and about 50% of the NASDAQ 100. And they are outperforming and they are holding the entire market up here. If we are to see those come in just a little bit, guy, you're going to be 50 day, 100 day, maybe 200 day. You mentioned breach. As we go to the NDX, I'll tell you folks that Jim Breach, of course, a great kicker for those Cincinnati Bengal teams. I believe Kenny Anderson, the quarterback at the time. I'm speaking to an audience of about three people. But as you know, Dan, I don't care. Here we are with the NDX. You talked about it. You know, you're seeing a bit of a, you know, this is what we call an, an engulfing candle. I mean, the fact that I even just said that is pretty remarkable. Uh, but you wondered, is this a topping formation again? The 50-day comes in around 15,500 or thereabouts, 200-day, uh, 14,400 or thereabouts. Looks hauntingly similar to the S&P chart. But again, you mentioned the leadership in this space. If a couple of those names start to give it up, I would submit maybe Tesla is the one that's most uh, vulnerable. Although Amazon, having had a huge update the last few days and then gave it up on last Friday and has subsequently turned, you have to wonder, is Amazon telling a story here? Right now, it doesn't appear to be, Dan, but it certainly looks as though uh, we're vulnerable to the downside. First of all, Guy, only you could call a chart an engulfing candle when we're not even using a candle chart here. But, you know, we'll <laughs> leave that for the textbooks and those armchair technicians to opine um, on that. I think your point's a really good one about Tesla. It's up nearly 60% on the year here. It's over a trillion dollars in market cap. Then you have Microsoft up 50% on the year. You have Alphabet up 60 plus percent on the year. When you put all that market cap together, you're talking nearly 5 trillion, then throw in Apple and Amazon, which I think are interesting. They're both underperforming the broad market here, despite the fact that they've had these great runs of late and they're helping out the market. If all of these stocks go in the same direction, lower anytime soon, guy, you're going to be back at that breakout level in the NDX. And that's just above that 50-day moving average too. Again, it might not even need to be something fundamental. It might need the fact that the dollar's rallying. We're going to talk about that. It might be the fact that rates are going up a little bit. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And that could just have investors readjust those allocations towards those positions that have done so much heavy lifting. Most economically sensitive. We talked about this. I thought the small caps broke out. It might be a false breakout. Carter Worth has actually talked about this at length. You know, it appeared as though we finally broke out of this nine-month trading sideways range that we had. Now we're right back into that range. Technicians will look at that and will say, no bueno. What do you look at? I think part of the reason is, you know, maybe rates have gotten too far ahead of themselves. Or 
you know, maybe some of the concerns going on in Europe are manifesting themselves as small caps. I don't know, but that false breakout is concerning, Dan. Nathan. Yeah, I mean, I guess they really shouldn't be a huge impact, these lockdowns in Europe on the domestically focused small caps here. I think 70 or 75 percent of the revenues of the Russell 2000 do come from um, the U.S. here. Does it cause issues about supply chains and the potential for this stuff to go on longer than we think? And it might be harder for them to get parts or services, that sort of thing. And it might start to impact margins. I'll just go back to Q1 of 2021, earlier this year, Guy, when it looked like the Russell was the leader here, rates were going higher, and they were going higher predicated on the fact that we might be looking at the other end of this pandemic, the vaccines were going well, and investors were starting to price in better global growth, or definitely here, and the Russell small caps were benefiting from that. That sideways action, and then that final breakout where everyone's getting on the train here, and then the failure is a real problem here. It should get some support right there at that 200-day moving average, but that's a few percent away. And then it's steadily back in that long consolidation with a failed breakout. I think the small caps might be saying something very different than what they were saying just a couple of weeks ago when they were breaking out. Now they may say growth expectations way too high. Higher rates is going to stifle a lot of that growth too. You know, I know you played lacrosse in college and we have the great Stephen Rafis working with us from Syracuse University, another lacrosse player. Why do I mention that? You say, well, because I know at a certain point you had the wind knocked out of you. See what I did there? (laughs) Because I got to tell you something. There are a lot of weird things going on in terms of high yield rates going higher. We love Peter Bookvar of the book report, Lira in free fall. We're going to talk to Chris Vecchio about that as well. But there are a lot of concerning things out there. I think yields to me is the is first on my list, Dan Nathan. Yeah, the yield situation, listen, you've had a great call on yields and why they should be going up at different parts of 2021 here. And obviously, we were all in the same camp that if growth is going to be better, the Fed is going to have to start to taper their bond purchases, come off these kind of disaster rate policy initiatives, right? And that was the kind of the first three months of this year. I think as Q3 growth came into question here, I think people started thinking about, well, maybe we're going to get back quicker to that 2.2% average GDP growth that we were doing prior to the pandemic here. High yield has been just a non-event for the most part for a lot of investors until we start seeing some cracks in the armor, until we start thinking about what might be systemic. And in this case, it might be, will inflation be systemic? I think you think a lot of that's going to be um, stickier or so, um, but we're starting to see yields move in a way that's not that intuitive for a lot of investors who have been following it. You've been talking about just in the two and the 10, the volatility there, Guy. I mean, what does it mean to you? Because that too just broke out. If you look at it on a one-year basis here, it looks like a precipitous move here. Well, I mean, two-year yields, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but you have to look at this and say, wait a second, two-year yields, a month and a half, two months ago were 20 basis points. Now they're either side of 60 basis points. You can do that math, Dan, Nathan. And again, a lot of people say it's not a big deal. They're still historically low. I get it. But Yields should not move this quickly, um, this precipitously to the upside. Just my opinion, we'll see. If you think about it, if that type of volatility was in the equity market, we'd be talking about it nonstop 24-7. The fact that it's in the bond market, nobody seems to care about. That's one chart. Now, just take this out a little bit further, just to give you some indication of where we've been and where we are now in terms of the two-year. Obviously, this is a 10-year chart. Are they breaking out? Are we going to see 1% again? 1.5% is sort of where we broke down from at the end of 2019. 
I got to tell you something. If we get there, it's going to be extraordinarily problematic because the flattening yield curve and a number of other things. Um, it's just something to watch. Yep. And it's just something that we don't bring up probably often enough, Dan, Nathan. Yeah. So Peter Bookvar in his note this morning, I mean, he's basically effectively saying that we've had a 50 basis point rate hike right here. The Fed funds has not moved, right? The Fed controls that, but that's what's going on in the twos. We've had this um, move in the tenure, which I think is kind of interesting here because a lot of people have been scratching their heads and then the smarter ones are going back to the two year and say, oh, that's where all the action is. Um, look at this long-term 10-year chart of the 10-year US Treasury yield. You see that it's back now in those levels back in all the way 2012 and 2016 and 2019. And when it was down there at about one and a half percent or so, a lot of strategists, a lot of economists thought they were generational lows. Well, it took a pandemic to blow through that. We've spent a lot of time, though, in 2021 contemplating right whether we're going to get through there to the upside, which causes me to believe that maybe we just may never see rates go higher in a meaningful manner. I know that you think that we are going to see 2% in the 10 Year. But when you think about the sovereign balance sheets, the debt that has been accumulated over the last, let's say, year and a half or so, I'm not sure we can service that guy. And that's where you get to this high yield situation. Why might we be seeing stress in the credit markets? Well, I mean, if you look at this now, this is an interesting chart, the HYG. And if you go back and look where we've broken down, the first place you have to look at 2015-16. And you know that sort of lined up with the Chinese in August, I believe, of 2015, devaluating, devaluing their currency. You saw not only a precipitous drop in the S&P 500 over the ensuing months, you obviously saw this move in high yield. 1819 sort of speaks for itself, Dan Nathan. That was Jerome Powell, if you recall, saying they were going to raise rates and they were going to reduce the balance sheet. I think he used the term autopilot. The market obviously didn't like that. We know what happened, obviously, in March of 2020. That move that you're seeing speaks for itself. But, you know, we've traded up to this 88 level or so in HYG a number of times. Have we failed? And are we on the forefront of something? Right? I think we are. Um, high yield tells the story always. Is it going to tell the story again, Dan Nathan? Yeah. And I think what you're saying is it tells the story about equity volatility. If you look at all of those precipitous declines that we've seen over the last 10 years, they've all matched up with big declines in the stock market here. Um, so, you know, some people like to watch the VIX. Um, our friend Brian Kelly, what does he tell us to do? Watch the dollar. Sure. He says that's the new VIX here. So, guy, we've seen this breakout in the Dixie, the US um, dollar index. We know that maybe half of that is the euro. Our main man, Chris Vecchio, is going to come on in a couple minutes and drop some knowledge um, on us on that here. Look at that chart, though, man. Oof, that's a bit of a breakout of some key levels after this long meandering period over the last year or so, back to some of the volatility that we saw right at the start of the pandemic. What's your take on the Dixie, the US dollar here? What does it mean for stocks? What does it mean for the broader macro landscape right now? Historically, you know, rising dollar is obviously not, it, it, well, I'm not going to say it's not good for stocks, but it creates a bit of a headwind for stocks. You know, a falling dollar typically tailwinds, a rising dollar typically headwinds. Doesn't mean the market can't go up, just makes it that much more difficult. If you listen to Tim Seymour, who appears nightly on Fast Money, he thinks the DXY is going back to 100. And if you look at that chart, it certainly appears to be the case. Chris Vecchio, as you mentioned, is going to talk about this. The rising dollar makes sense in the context of rates going higher without question. The real issue is, will commodities continue to move to the upside with the rising dollar? If that happens, you have to really wonder what's going on below the surface. We talked about that earlier. Um, I think the dollar continues to grind higher here. Maybe it's a function of rates. Um, 
I'm surprised it held as well as it did. Now this move makes sense again in terms of rates and again in terms of what's happening uh, internationally. But we'll see what it means to the broader market and we'll see what it means to commodities. To me, that's the big tell. We have to look at Bitcoin because you can't mention the dollar without mentioning the crypto. And I wonder, um, the dollar getting its footing, is that putting some weight, it's putting some pressure on Bitcoin? I don't know, but it certainly would appear that way given the last two charts. Yeah, I think so. I mean, listen, I think what's really clear about 2021 is that Bitcoin has firmly become a macro asset when you think of its market cap at, you know, over a trillion dollars. And you think of the sort of institutions that have been adopting it for a whole host of different reasons. And so I think you might start to see correlations that didn't exist prior or ones that people dreamed of as this thing was a much smaller sort of um, risk asset in the days prior to, you know, the last couple of years where we've seen this big ramp. I look at Bitcoin here and, you know, there's a lot of um, strategists, a lot of uh, long-term bulls who think that this thing should be double of where it is right now in the not so distant future. And they'll lay out a whole host of reasons. But if you look at this chart here, I mean, man, you know, they were that, they felt that way back in February, March, when the thing was higher than where it is now, it did make a brief new high last month. We're what in the throes of maybe a 15, 20% pullback right now. I look at this chart and I say, whoa, that 50,000 breakout level from just early October, just above the 200-day moving average, would look like a nice support level. And I'll just tell you this, the people that I know who have a very long-term view, who are not trading this short-term, they welcome these 20 30% pullbacks. It gives them the opportunity to buy more. And I get that. If you own any of these crypto assets, you understand volatility is a feature, not a bug. I think that 50,000 level would be welcomed by a lot of people who are bullish on it, despite being a 25, 30% pullback from the recent highs. Remember in my early days, there was a book that was written. We had to read it in high school. It was called uh, Atlas Shrugged. I mentioned that because our next slide speaks to something else. Biden blinked, Dan Nathan. Yes, he Oof. did. Absolutely. And Tom Lee said it. I can see this really backfiring. I 100% agree. Releasing energy from the SPR is a panic move, in my opinion. It might work for a day or two in terms of getting prices lower, but it ain't going to work in the long term. And you fire that bullet, you better be ready for the ramifications. And if oil continues to go higher, he's going to shrug because it's going to be really problematic. What are your thoughts? This is All right, first things, things first. Let's is what it is. Let's be clear. You did not read Atlas Shrug. It was not part of any syllabus. I don't think it's ever been a part of any high school syllabus in America. My daughter, Alex, though, who you know, is reading The Fountainhead for the second time right now. And that is a great book. I am not John Gall. I do not dig the Atlas Shrug. All right. Tom Lee has had a heck of a call on crude. He's been saying to buy it. He's also been saying to buy the OIH, the oil service. Is that's been a bit more volatile here, but that crude chart is really interesting, guy. It came back to that breakout level um, from September. And listen, you know, you and I remarked on the market call or the old macro setup, as we used to say, that you know, the, the, that move in crude over the summer was really, really interesting. I want to take you back to the dollar, though, and I want to take you back to the last time that the Fed started to taper and the Fed started contemplating rate hikes here, the dollar rip. That was back in that 2013, 14, 15 period here. And what did we see happen to crude? We saw it get killed. I know there's very different dynamics going on right now as it relates to supply chains and the way it just relates to the global reflation trade here. But I am not particularly bullish on crude. And if it can't get going right here, and it does take this announcement that you think is a Fugazi or Fugazi or however you say it here, and it doesn't 
um, you know, and it, it and it can't rally, then I think it's going at least back to that 200-day moving average. You might be right. We'll see. I mean, that's going to tell the tale. They fired that silver bullet. They better hope it works. I don't think it is. I'm with Tom Lee. But you know who else I sort of dig and who fires silver bullets left and right because he's just the man? It's a great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX, looking very handsome, I might add, on this Tuesday. Chris Vecchio, how are you? I'm doing well, guy. How are you? You get such a kick out of me, like, oh, my God, this old dude is saying I'm handsome. But you are. It's okay. You've heard what we've talked about. We want to look at your charts. Just some thoughts before we get into it. Sure, yeah. I I would agree on the whole notion that this SPR release could actually backfire. I mean, we're talking about a release of 30 to 35 million barrels uh, over the course of a few days. The U.S. consumes around 20 million barrels of oil per day. So what is this going to do? Not really all that much significantly. Uh, The global coordinated release, yes, it's been a nice headwind for oil here the past few days. But I think by and large, this is priced in. So uh, we go back to the whole narrative. OPEC plus is still not producing enough. Global demand is increasing as we move away from you know the depths of the pandemic. And uh, oil may not extend all the way down to the, the lower side of its channel that's been in place from the November 2020, uh, August 2021 lows. I don't think we may get to $72 after all. So this could be the turn that we're seeing here in the very near term. Um, overall, though, I do think it's interesting that you you brought up the whole U.S. yield situation. Uh, it's noteworthy that when Fed Chair Powell was renominated by President Biden yesterday, when Lael Brainerd spoke about uh, her nomination to the vice chair role, both of them mentioned inflation in their first few comments. It, it was something that was at the tip of their tongue, something that they seem to be taking a harder jawboning line on. Perhaps forward guidance moves the needle here. But I'm um, taking a step back. If we go to that November Fed meeting, neither Powell nor Braden nor anyone uh, suggested that tapering is on a preset course. We could see an acceleration in the tapering come early 2022. We're only at $15 billion for November and December. Given the commentary we've seen over the last few weeks, I think it's possible that if inflation stays elevated, and it could go up to 7% or so, uh, that we see an increased rate of tapering, which is the bond market signaling to that to us right now. Well, your first chart speaks to what the market's doing for the Fed. This, you know, the Fed rate hike odds. Uh, I love this chart, and it continues to, you know, continues to be a great indicator each and every week that you bring it to us. Can you speak to that? Sure. So we're still measuring here uh, the shape of the U.S. Treasury yield curve, the two five ten butterfly. We're looking at the uh, December twenty one, December twenty twenty three euro dollar contract spread. Looking at the expectations for commercial borrowing costs over. The next two years effectively and against the dollar index that white line and the three have been moving in tandem over the course of this year as the treasury yield curve continues to uh, shift in a manner consistent with the 2013-2014 tapering period as the markets pull forward more rate hikes into the immediate term horizon we're seeing the dollar continue to rally and uh, right now we're expecting this to continue for the foreseeable future in part because of what we're seeing in some of the major pairs like dollar yen and like euro dollar, dollar yen here really making a nice, consistent technical break to the upside. We had our Fibonacci extension from the January 2021 uh, low, the July 21 high, and then the August swing low. That gave us an initial target of about 112.75. We reached there at the end of October before briefly pausing, hitting a little bit of a, a pennant or a flag pattern there. And now we're starting to break out once more after a retest of that former resistance turn support. We take a new Fibonacci retracement from uh, the low that we had in September, the high we had in October, back to the November swing low. That gives us an immediate target in the mid-116 area. Ultimately, both of these extensions are pointing for a move, uh, finishing out perhaps the year in that 117, 80, 118, 20 range 
uh, we could see more upside momentum here in dollar yen. No question about it. I mean, we're talking about, I think, four-year four year highs in dollar yen, as you mentioned off camera, and I think we continue to grind higher. You've been spot on on this one as well. You've also been uh, pretty spot on in terms of what we're seeing in the euro. This is interesting because, you know, false breakout. Now we're back at the trend line. We're in this pennant. Looks hauntingly familiar, quite frankly, with some of the other things we've talked about, the, uh, the small caps. But what are you looking at here? Are we going to trade back down to that uptrend line, which probably brings us around the 109 and a half or so level? Yes, sir. I mean, this is the monthly chart of euro dollar. We've recently just made a break below that all-time descending trend line from the 2008-2014 swing highs, a level that we broke out last July. But we find ourselves trading back below the trend line once more, signaling that it was potentially a false breakout, as you mentioned. And if we do return to the other side of this uh, triangle consolidation, typically the case when you see a a false breakup move, a move to the other side of the consolidation, that puts us in the high 108, low 109 area over the coming weeks and months. And we've mentioned this on the show before, when U.S. Eurozone inflation differentials are persisting at the levels in which they are right now, you extend that out by about six months. It typically leads to more U.S. dollar strength versus the euro. The euro has its own litany of problems. These COVID caseloads are going through the roof. Their seven-day moving average is now at all-time highs over the course of the pandemic. We also have energy concerns there. Stagflation is a bigger issue for Europe than it is for the U.S., and now we have talk about Russia potentially moving into Ukraine. Uh, it, it speaks to some of those fears that the euro embedded several years back when Russia invaded Crimea. It could be a geopolitical headwind here for the several weeks and months moving forward. My awkward segue is going to be this, top, this chart is perfect for where we are in terms of the calendar. But you know what? You can't dismiss it because what's going on in Turkey right now is historic. Can you speak to this? Sure. I mean, they have a central bank that is really, uh, we'll say, not independent. Um, the the central bank governor, uh, Kavsioglu, he is under the thrall of President Recep uh, Erdogan, and he's cutting rates because Erdogan believes that if you lower interest rates, you're going to fight inflation. But uh, there's a currency crisis right now going on in Turkey. You have elevated inflation at, at high levels, record high levels. You have negative current account balance, uh, rising implied FX vol, widening bond risk premiums. And this external debt burden that's gone through the roof, in fact, the data released last week from the CBRT showed uh, that Turkey's short-term external debt reached $124.4 billion. That was an 8.8% rise since the end of 2020. This is a problem for Turkey because about 43% of their country's debt is denominated in U.S. dollars, another 25% denominated in euro. So as its currency weakens, its debt problems beget worse more and more and more with each passing hour, each passing day. This is a spiral right now. Dollar lira up about 30% this month. Euro lira up about 27% this month at the time that we recorded this video. No, and I know people are saying, why are you talking about the Turkish lira? I mean, it just speaks to, you know, central banks run amok and what can happen when you make policy mistakes. And once you go down that rabbit hole, it's very hard to get to the other side. And they're firmly in the midst of this right now. I don't know how this sorts itself out, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Which brings us to gold, which is really interesting because, again, everything we've just talked about for the last 28 minutes should lead us to gold. Yet here we are once again, can't get out of its own way. Another false breakout, not unlike we're looked like in the euro. Um, here we are sort of mired in this 1780, 1800 level. Right. And I think a lot of this has to do with the change in verbiage used by Powell and, and Brainerd yesterday. You know, we're going to have high inflation here for the next few months. I don't think anyone's disputing that, even as supply chain issues appear to be abating. Uh, one of my favorite stats is while that there are a lot more ships waiting in ports in L.A., outside of New York, 
the fact is that these ships are smaller, so there are actually fewer containers now offshore waiting to be unloaded than there were just about two months ago. So the supply chain crisis is getting better, but inflation expected to continue to run up into that 6-7% range perhaps into the first quarter of next year. And gold is not hearing it. Gold just does not care. And it's because I think the Fed is signaling to us that we may actually get some faster tapering, some faster tightening uh, into next year. One of the big stats that I like pointing out, at the end of last week, 81% chance, according to Fed Fund Futures, that the first rate hike would arrive in June 2022. As of today, 97% chance. Chris Vecchio, it's wonderful to work with you. I'm wishing you and your family, on behalf of Dan Nathan and all the folks at Market Call Macro, a happy Thanksgiving. Dan Nathan, give me a couple parting words. Yeah, keep an eye on this volatility. You know, Guy, that reversal yesterday in the NASDAQ was, was really something um, that we haven't seen in a very long time. The fact that the market tried to open today, Tuesday, and stabilize, it was green in the morning, and then quickly reversed. And now, you know, I think the NASDAQ at one point was down over a percent. Let's see if they can get a rally going and try to hold some stuff um, together here. Otherwise, it could be a pretty sloppy holiday week, especially when you consider some of the low volume action that we know we get on uh, Thanksgiving week. But guys, listen, I am thankful for being we're here with you on the market call. This is always fun to do this. Um, and I hope you and your family have a great holiday. Wishing all our viewers the same, Dan, you and to your family as well. Amanda, Brendan, Mr. Cavino, Chris Vecchio, all the great people here wishing you all a wonderful Thanksgiving. This has been uh, a market call macro brought to you by our presenting sponsors, IG US, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America, and Dan, our friends at Open Exchange, because as you know, I know, and now everybody knows, <laughs> they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>